state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle formation of the near side. J.D. split out left. They look left. Back to throw is Adrian. He could step up and he's going to try to run for the pylon. He's to the five. He lays out. He's in. That's a two-point play for Nebraska. And they've tied this game in Champaign at 35 apiece. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Hey, Ben, I've got a secret for you. Don't tell anybody, but the Big Ten's going to play football again here in about a month. We're going we're gonna to announce it sometime. <laughs> Are we going to announce it before we play? Maybe. Why don't we just give you 24 hours notice? Game tomorrow. Show up if you can. My goodness. Oh, man. Austin had it for you there in the ticker. We welcome you to a Tuesday night edition of the Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good day today. It's, it's always something, right? It's always something out there for us to get fired up about. And today it was Nebraska President Ted Carter. He was making a big announcement about the Department of Defense making a um, big, big donation to the university, $92 million uh, that's not donation. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, grant to the uh, to the uh, University of Nebraska. So huge news. And Ted Carter was approaching a podium and kind of whispered something to uh, one of the dignitaries there. That well, it's going to be a big day because tonight the Big Ten's going to announce that football's back for the Huskers. And man, that thing went viral. Uh, a, f- a little later, after the thing got over, a couple of TV stations were there and and approached President Carter and said, hey, you, you said this. Is, is this right? And he said, well, you know, he, he tried to backtrack a little bit on it and said, well, I didn't really. I mean, that progress is being made, and we're hopeful and cautiously optimistic that something's going to happen. So we're sitting here at 6.08, and, and nothing has come down the pike. Um, I'm trying to remember, Ben, back when they did the, the schedule in August, how much notice did we get? Because it was like a 7.30 in the morning thing on BTN. Did we get an hour? Is that all we got? Does that sound right? Um, I'm trying to I, remember how it went down that day. Um, I remember – I don't remember knowing anything about it the night before. I kind of right. remember just waking up in the morning. Maybe it was around 7. Maybe it was around 7 a.m. That, that it was – because yeah, annou- did they announce it at 7.30 or was it, it was, 8? I think it was 7.30. I think it was a, a bottom-of-the-hour deal. And so, you know, but here – and Austin and I were having this conversation before we hit the air tonight. In, in television terms, your biggest audience is prime time. Why would you not do it at, like, 7 o'clock tonight? Instead of 7.30 in the morning, people are driving to work, getting their work day going. I mean, yeah, people are going to pick up on it as the day goes, but – I Maybe they're planning the same thing, a sneak attack tomorrow morning and letting BTN get all their ducks in a row and BTN trying to organize their guest list to have the particular head coaches and ADs on. Maybe they're, maybe they're, uh, maybe it's the same plan is in place for tomorrow. I don't know. We'll keep an eye on it tonight. Maybe it pops tonight, but awful lot of smoke here, Ben, and I know we've been lifted up and dropped on the floor a couple of different times, but I kind of feel like this might be different. Yeah, I've I've definitely got a different sense, and and people that listen to this show every night know I've I've grown grown increasingly pessimistic the last week and a half to two weeks on this show um, about just about being able to play and 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 what we're hearing and and when that might happen, um, but 
yeah, I, I do feel like this has a different tone to it. I, I do feel like there, we do know for a fact there's a meeting. That's more info than we've had on anything regarding the Big Ten. Um, I mean, Greg, even even including that that schedule release that we're talking about, we didn't have any information. <laughs> really, at that point, all we had was the schedule. And even after the, the season was postponed, we didn't have any information. So as far as we know, this is the most knowledge we've had on any dealings that the league has had with the commissioners and the presidents of the, of the, of the big 10 conference. So that already has me feeling better. You don't need to necessarily find a, a new source that you trust to, to dig that information out. And it, it just seems like there's a lot of positive momentum about this. And it's funny that I mentioned, um, you know, news sources. It's crazy to me how still, the national media and not all of them, but the, just that select, I'm going to call it, start calling them a fraternity of, of writers that just refuse to yield the fact that big 10 football may in fact be coming. And yes, those are the same writers that were tweeting all about all the games that were happening on Saturday and how great it was and college football, this and college football, that their stance is a, a line drawn in the sand on the big 10 and it's and it's increasingly difficult to get information from them about what what's happening. So I I think that that's an interesting dynamic, and I think it's pretty telling too. You know, w- reporters that are so willing to shoot down any sort of rumor or speculation that a season may happen. They've been awful quiet today uh, <laughs> about things that that might happen. And um, yeah, there were some fingers pointed at at Nebraska's president today, Ted Carter, but. Um, I, I do think that, that, that the smoke here is real, it's substantial. And I, I think there's a lot of momentum for the big 10 getting this thing going. And I, I don't know if there's any sort of announcement coming. Let, let's hope the commissioner performs a little better this time around. If he is indeed one that was put in, uh, put put in, uh, in charge of, of announcing this thing, but you know, I, I do think we're, we're getting closer to a decision. I know people are frustrated. I'm frustrated. You're frustrated that it hasn't happened yet. We kind of thought it would happen on Sunday. And here we are, you know, at 612 on Tuesday with still no indication of when an announcement's going to be made. You know, we love to have fun with our top 10, and we do have one later tonight. We maybe could have had some fun with our top 10 favored national college football writers poll. <laughs> or least favorite <laughs> or least favorite but we usually like to make a positive spin but yeah man, people probably would have enjoyed that if we would have come up with our top 10 because i would have been... a really hard time ordering them <laughs> it's it has been amazing what their attitude has been like where they have they've really kind of championed the big 10 in canceling things but they have not been hard on the conferences that are still playing so you would think okay if you're going to pick on the exactly if you're going to say the big 10 great for you then they should be slamming the sec and the acc and the, but they are not rejoicing or, or not even or, or or not rejoicing the fact that they're covering it or watching it it's like this this logic only applies to the big 10 you know you're to go pull up the twitter feeds and it's like none of this had ever even happened on Saturday to, to these people. It's absolutely mind-blowing to me. And, Greg, I'm even seeing Husker fans and fans elsewhere canceling subscriptions yeah. to places because it's so bad. And it's easy for 
a national rider to be listening to our show tonight, which I'm sure Pat Forty is hunched over his radio right now, pen in hand, waiting to, you know, throw his next jab at Husker fans listening to you and I. But I, I, I feel like there has been an increasingly growing amount of people outside of the state of Nebraska that are feeling that way. And even based on the comments that I'm, I'm reading and uh, replies to tweets from these national folks, it's, it's, it's now gone outside the Big Ten, they're, 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 that they are losing the respect of so many college football fans outside of the state of Nebraska. And it would be easy for those national riders to go, well, you're in Nebraska. Of course you're going to say that. I mean, we picked on you, and, and you've got hurt feelings. That, that, that's why you're saying that. But you've getting, you're getting fans from all over the, the, um, the conference saying that. And I'm even seeing fans from outside of the league you know, stepping in and saying they're canceling their subscription. They're, they don't have any respect for these riders anymore. It's, it's pretty incredible in a day and age where those publications thrive on subscriptions and need those subscriptions to, to survive, and especially at a time like this, so willing to just punt away customers because of just the, the stubborn stances that some of the, and the, the opinions, it's not even, it's not even actual reporting, but just the opinions of some of their riders. I mean, I, I don't know what the long-term effect is, but short-term, it's not good. You and I, when it comes to Nebraska, are not neutral at all. I mean, we're, we're Huskers. We see everything pretty much through rose-colored or red-colored glasses in this case. But you're you're um, you're buoyed when you see other people who don't have a dog in the fight that are saying, "Whoa, this isn't right." What these people are saying and doing, and there were some of those national media early this morning when the Ted Carter thing happened. They were really trying to kind of slam Nebraska. Did he do it on purpose? Did he do this on purpose? To, which I, I don't. I know Ted Carter well enough to know he did not do that on purpose. That was a slip up. Uh, he did not mean for that conversation to be aired and to get out. But you had a lot, a lot of national media that were wanting to stir the pot even more about Nebraska. Now we switch gears and chat some Husker baseball with Nebraska head baseball coach Will Bolt. Coach. Uh, first of all, how how you doing, man? There's been a lot that's happened, and you know, Greg and I were talking yesterday about how there hasn't been uh, a single normal day on the job since you've took the job. How, how are things going right now with with you and the coaching staff and the team, given everything that's happened? Oh, I'm doing great now. Uh, you know, we we I was we kind of joked around about it a couple of weeks ago once we were able to finally start doing some baseball again, and it's the first time we've been able to. Uh, I've been baseball coaches in, in over five months, um, just with our season ending quickly um, back in March and the uncertainty that came after that and um, did a lot of recruiting and, um, you know, kind of some roster um, evaluation right after our season was over. And But as far as actually going out and watching any baseball games or coaching any uh, baseball games uh, or, or just being around our players. Um, first time in about five and a half months to, to be able to do that. So it feels great. It's a little bizarre, Coach. I mean, we're we're going to head down for the scrimmage that you guys have on Thursday, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But Greg and I were just t- talking. Like, it, it seems like a year ago, but it also seems like yesterday, that he and I were in a car on our way to Wichita 
when all the news started breaking and we're literally refreshing the Twitter page and another league was canceling, another tournament was canceled, something else was happening. Baseball was the last thing that we had and and it could be it could be one of the first things that we have back. How has this process been for you just day by day? You mentioned what you've been doing, but just the uncertainty. You've got players asking you what's going on. You've got members of your current team asking if they're going to be able to come back. What's this been like as a head coach with such uncharted territory? Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of um, uneasy days where you just don't really know what's going to happen. And you said it best. I mean, it just seems like that, right, With when we had the, the time where we were really quarantined and not really able to do much. It, it felt like every day was the same, and, and there was just no no major events going on, no no sporting events to watch on TV. Um, you know, a couple of months in some ways flew by, in other ways, like you said, it felt like it, it was a year. But we, we started getting a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel when we were able to send our guys off to play summer ball. I think that was something that probably back in early – June, it didn't even really seem like it was going to be possible um, with a lot of the, the leagues canceling and, and uh, some of those things. But once we were able to find some leagues for our guys to go play in and they were going to be able to go get some innings, some at-bats, um, try to make up for some lost time there with the missed games and the missed development in the spring, started to get a little more optimistic about you know us being able to get things done this fall and then um, luckily our administration was very supportive of us getting back in our facilities and, and just obviously having a plan in place to do it safely and um, you know it's been it's been good to to be around our guys and be able to train and just be able to for some lost time. The other part to this whole thing is you're you're welcoming in a whole bunch of new players. I always joke that you know every fall when I show up for the red white that I need some type of roster or, or player list because I don't know half your team. It might even be more than half the team this year. You're having to welcome in kids that haven't been here before, and you know some of them were, were playing summer ball around here. Some of them weren't. Some of them were rehabbing. How have they been, and what what have they been like? You know, with with all of this, and you know, coming to a new place and dealing with all this, and um, you know, trying to figure out what their niche is going to be with the Husker baseball team. Yeah, it's definitely been um, an interesting uh, transition with s several guys that we we recruited and added to the roster this summer uh, during a dead period where they couldn't even come on a visit, and <laughs> I. We actually, as a coaching staff, met Chance Rock, um, Chad Hayes, um, Luke Sartori, um, Jake Buns was another that he was around a little bit this summer because he was rehabbing. But um, you know, just we a lot of guys that we actually had never even met in person until the, the first day that they set foot on campus and <laughs> shook their hand and said, "Hey, welcome to <laughs> welcome to Nebraska, and glad to have you." And um, so. You know, having the season end the way it did gave us a little bit more time. Um, usually you're scrambling. Have a pretty good idea what you're going to do, have your exit meetings in June, um, but you have a lot less time to evaluate and, and kind of turn over um, the roster. You know, with the transition year, with the new coaching staff, we were able to get a little bit of a head start there. Um, really in April we had some exit meetings, and, again, we were doing all this over the phone. Um 
you know, having to have some tough conversations with guys, but um, also just um, at the same time adding new pieces of the puzzle to to the 2020-2021 baseball team. So we're we're excited about what we're able to get done um, in that amount of time, and and these guys are they're working hard so far, and um, just look forward to getting out there and and seeing them compete. I don't want to go through the whole list of new guys because we'd be here until midnight, but one of the guys that, that you mentioned that I, I'm really curious about is, is a graduate transfer from New Mexico State. You mentioned Chance Rock, the, the experienced pitcher. Coach, what, what does it mean to have a guy who has so many innings under his belt, has been around the college game, has pitched in maybe the most difficult ballpark there is to pitch in in America, to, to come and, and – you know, bolster your staff and, and bring some, some valuable experience um, to that side of things for, you know, making the most out of his last year. Yeah, we were, we were ecstatic um, when he decided to, to commit here and, and, and said he wanted to come. We, we um, were really ta- trying to target a grad transfer that checked a lot of the boxes that he did. I mean, I think we were very fortunate and finding somebody of his caliber that, like you said, I mean, he just, you know, he's 10 and one with a two, seven, four ERA pitching in Las Cruces. Um, not easy to do. Um, had some good reports from an outing he had down at Texas A&M this past shortened season. I think he punched out nine and threw well. And, um, you know, just knows who he is as a pitcher. He's a sinker guy. Uh, not going to necessarily blow you away with velocity, but, certainly can hold his own in the low nineties and throw a slider and a change up and, you know, just find a way to win. I mean, that's, you know, you know, you win 10 games in one season uh, against one loss, you're doing something right. And he's going to get a lot of ground balls. He's a veteran. Um, he wanted to, to pitch and, and be, be in an atmosphere like we have here at Nebraska where we have great fan support and it's a, it's a college environment and, um, you know, I think he's definitely going to add some stability um, and a chance to step right into our weekend rotation. I know you can't get into specifics, Coach, about, about particular players in, in, for, in future years, but one of the things that you mentioned at your press conference that, that I, won't, I won't forget is how you know that there's talent in, in, within the, the borders of this state and in our region to help Nebraska compete on the national level. You've had a number of, of guys say yes to the Huskers and, and have had a lot of success in doing that. I know it's one thing to have a vision when you get here and to kind of have a blueprint, but to actually see that vision come to fruition and to see that vision kind of take shape, what's that feel like to have kids in this state want to come play for Nebraska and just as a coaching staff to know that you have the ability to have some of these kids want to stay home? Yeah, I think it it starts with – just having been here in the state before and recruited in the state and obviously having played here in college, like I just know the the sense of pride um, that so many uh, kids grow up with, you know, with the Huskers, um, you know, growing up bleeding Husker red and dreaming of playing at Haymarket Park one day. And and so <clears throat> I think that's always been there. I think it's just we, we just wanted to make sure – that we started here, um, that we, you know, we're not just coming back here as a last resort to, um, you know, to fill out the roster that we, we really feel like we want to build the roster around uh, the talented players in the state, you know, also having a chance to, to bring guys back that, that may have gone off and played in junior college that are from the state, 
and again, we're not just going to target, you know, Nebraska kids, but I think we have to start there. Um, I know it's a great uh, blueprint that, that we've won with before. I had a chance to go to the College World Series with a bunch of Nebraska guys, some JC grinders, and some guys that maybe were a little bit overlooked in the recruiting process. And you, you kind of build a culture uh, the way you want to build it with, with those type of players. Um, obviously, you got to have the talent. And, and the talent in the state of Nebraska is as good as it's ever been for baseball. So, um, you know, we were a little bit fortunate um, coming in that, that we, there were so many good players kind of still available, um, you know, for that for a couple of these recruiting cycles. So, um, so far, so good. You use the, the phrase build a culture. You can't do that without guys by your side that, that you brought in as assistant coaches. You've had about a year now to, to figure this out with, with the guys that you brought in with, with Lance and with Jeff and with Danny and, and, and just how you guys want to run things as coaches. How, uh, besides the golf games out there and the, and the matches that you guys have had, how, how has it been with those guys and uh, you know, just your day-to-day and the recruiting efforts and just kind of building this thing? Yeah, they're they've done an amazing job. Um, we're we're like a family. Um, we work together like that. Um, even in the times where we weren't able to be in the office, um, we basically made the decision that we were going to quarantine together, um, kind of like a family would as well. Where we're going to keep our circle small, but we're going to continue to meet um, off campus and talk about recruiting and roster management and try to build the you know, thing the way we wanted to build it and. You don't have that without guys that are extremely diligent with what they do um, without having a great rapport with your staff um, and just the way that we all communicate together. Um, I think it's it's a big, big part of the process of, of getting things done and, and being on the same page with the type of players that we want to bring in as well. It's Again, like I said, it's one thing to just go try to collect talent. It's another thing to try to collect um, talent that, that fits the, the culture that you're looking for. And, and these guys are, they're all cut from the same cloth. I mean, my entire staff has either played or coached in junior college. Um, they've, they've, they've got connections all over the country. And uh, man, I, I can't tell you how excited I am that, of, of the job that they've done and they'll can continue to do here. Coach, I've been soaking up every piece of content that I could find with Husker baseball related since March 13th, and something that caught my eye was old was old Schwelly on the bump, Spencer Schwellenbach that w- w- was was spotted. I know pitching is something that he came here wanting to do. His body hasn't always been in a position that allowed him to do that. Uh, I know he had to get some some stuff taken care of health wise before he's allowed to do that. But fill us in, give us the details. Yeah, Shvelli's a stud on the mound. Um, there's no other way around it. I mean, he's got a great arm. Uh, he throws a ton of strikes. I mean, you can go back and look at his, his high school numbers. He never walked anybody. I mean, he just pounded the zone with great stuff. Um, his secondary offerings are really good. He's competitive. Um, am I leaving anything out? <laughs> he's just – he's got a chance to really help us. Um, and this is the first time we've ever seen him healthy – um, since we've been here, I mean, he was recovering from surgery um, after his freshman year. Um, still wasn't feeling great even in the last spring. Um, hoping that maybe he would be able to pitch a little bit this past summer, but um, getting him back here this fall, we, that was a priority for us. We wanted to see it. His arm's feeling great. Um, his body feels great. He looks, I mean, physically fantastic. Um and, and the bullpens that we've seen so far are, are exciting. And, you know, we're going to get to see him throw live probably once a week this fall. 
um, if all goes well and um, I look for him to have a, a significant role on our pitching staff, um, you know, this year, but it's, it's a, you know, without putting too high of expectations on a guy, I mean, he's, he's worked extremely hard to get back to get his arm in shape and, and um, you know, we're going to take a look at it. Yeah, I was kind of joking about it and I, and I teased him about it, but I, I'm, I can't wait to see him out there. I know it's something he's wanting to do for, for a couple of years now, get out there and pitch. Well, you mentioned what, what's, what's going to happen this fall, Coach, and, and I, I can't wait. I know Greg can't wait to be out to the ballpark on Thursday. Before we cut you loose here, uh, give us an idea of what we're going to see on Thursday. We're, we're going to have the ability to put this on on the streams for, for fans, for parents, for everybody that's missed Husker baseball. It's a chance to just see the guys and see them out there work out and, and see them play a little ball. What, what, do you, what do you plan for on Thursday, and what can fans look forward to watching? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll probably uh, we'll get about six innings in. Uh, I guess keep in mind that a lot of these guys are throwing live off the mound to hitters maybe for the first time um, in a couple of months. Um, you know, obviously this will be the first scrimmage that we have, so it may not be. It's definitely going to be far from a finished product, but um, I, I think the things that have really stood out just in some workout sessions, we're, we're a lot more uh, – physically athletic and and just more physical in general um we've added some depth to the infield um we feel like we've got you know spots covered um you know behind the plate and and outfield we already felt pretty good especially with acker coming back and foster coming in and and being eligible this year and mojo having making a decision to come back we felt like we we've got some some depth there already built in um and then just adding some experience on the mound as well just some JC guys, um, you know, we talked about the graduate transfer and, um, but just, I think we're just going to, you know, again, it's going to be a work in progress and, and the first scrimmage is probably not going to be necessarily aesthetically pleasing at all times, but, um, you know, we're, we're excited about the group we have. They're, they're working hard. Um, they, they've shown to be a competitive bunch. that's not scared. Um, you know, and ultimately that's what we're looking for is guys to just fly around the field and, and play fearless and, and um, you know, attack the strike zone. So um, hopefully we see at least a little bit of that, a glimpse of that on Thursday and, you know, work the six weeks of the fall to, to get better and better each day. Not to get all sappy, Coach, but I've been locked in a box since March 13th. I'm excited to see you, excited to see the boys and just get out of the house and, and watch a little baseball. Thanks so much for, uh, for giving us a few minutes, and we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, can't wait, Ben. Appreciate it. The folks are clamoring to hear Big Red Reaction with Matt Cody and Steve Taylor. I mean, I hear it all the time. They are ready to hear Cote and Taylor made back behind the mics. Right, Cote? Hey, I tell you what, I have had so many fans ask me if they could just call me at home. When they've been watching these first two weeks of football. That's been strange, Sharpie. I, I, miss, uh, I miss talking to the callers. I know you do, and it's you guys have so much fun on that show, and I know you don't love the night games because you're up till about two or three in the morning talking to people, and you're having to throw, you're having to just put coffee in your veins to stay awake. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I spent uh, a long time in this man's navy, so I'm a coffee achiever. But hey, anything, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do a hundred percent overnight shows if it gets us back to a football season. I would be, I would be fine with that, and I'm sure Steve Taylor would also. I know he would. Matt Cooney with us. He's part of our football broadcast team and also the voice of Husker women's basketball. And there was a big announcement today as it related to Taylor Kissinger retiring from playing. What was your reaction when you heard the news today? 
Um, you know, I'd had a little bit of uh, a heads up on this. Uh, Amy Williams had talked to me uh, over the summer uh, that that was a possibility that her hip wasn't responding the way they wanted. You know, uh, it was a big decision for Taylor to stop playing after uh, the Duke game last year, really after the Oral Roberts game she set out of that. But her family and Taylor made a decision to go to the Mayo Clinic up in Minnesota just to see what their options were. And, and the options were she was going to have to have surgery. So instead of waiting until the summer and then maybe delaying what she was going to possibly do this year, they decided to have that procedure done in the middle of last season, which shut her down. And, um, you know, at, at that time, it was not 100% that that was going to solve her issue, but it needed to be done. And, uh, I, you know, I was alerted this summer that, you know, this, this may not uh, be a, in a position where she could continue playing. Give credit to Taylor. She tried everything she could uh, to come back from it. But, uh, you know, I, I was not 100% uh, surprised to hear this news. But when you hear it for, for real, you know, you're always kind of holding on to hope that, you know, maybe she can come back. Maybe she'll work through this. But, uh, you know, what you hope for is that, um, you know, her next stage in basketball, because she wants to be a coach. I think Amy Williams is going to afford her the opportunity to uh, do everything except play on the floor this year and look at those things, which I think is great. Great basketball family, obviously. Her, her sisters uh, played college basketball, and, um, you know, they're, they're a great family. So I wish her the best. Matt, how much did the Huskers miss her last year when she was not on the court? Well, missed her a lot. I mean, the first thing was Kate Kane saw more attention than Kim Kardashian did from the paparazzi because that's a three-point shooter. Think about this, Greg. We're not just talking about a three-point shooter. Every team has three-point shooters. But this was a person who was fourth in the nation her sophomore year, set the all-time record uh, for a single season, shooting 45% from the three-point line her her sophomore year, the all-time leader in three-point field goal percentage in the history of Nebraska women's basketball, over 40%. So when she's on the floor, teams played Nebraska so differently. So when Taylor was not in there, Nebraska didn't really have that level of three-point shooter. No one really did. And Kate Kane and the bigs down low saw just so much more attention that, you know, it was it was kind of hard for Nebraska to do what they wanted to do, especially you think about if you're playing a couple of people, one and a half on Kate Kane, or you're you're bringing help across the lane, then Sam Heidi can't get into the lane. Sam was so effective uh, her first year and then uh, the early part of her sophomore year of getting to the rim. And when the defense is clogging up the inside because you don't have that great three-point shooter, it really affected just about everything. So, um, and plus, Taylor... I really thought she was one of our better rebounders, and she was tough. And you know, her hustle out there, she was—you don't really think of uh, a three-point shooter as a as a great rebounder, but she had become uh, an exceptional rebounder. I think so. There were a number of things that had changed when she went out. Matt, what what does this do to the makeup of the team? I mean, Leah Brown is is transferred out now. Taylor retires. What about who gets those minutes as you break into this roster for the upcoming year? Yeah, it's, it's a real question, Greg, because, you know, the, the one thing that Leah Brown and Taylor Kissinger kind of did last year is they were kind of fighting for the same minutes. Leah Brown coming off the bench 
Um, and uh, but not not exactly the same score. I think uh, there's a real opportunity now for Trinity Brady, who's going to uh, I think emerge. She's five uh, eleven, maybe a little undersized at that three position, but I think she can explode, and I think she can do a lot of things. Not necessarily the three point shooter um, that even Leah Brown might have been, but I think she can do some some really good things there. And then I think. Um, the emergence of uh, Ruby Porter from Australia, this freshman that they're very high on. She's not necessarily a three, but I think you're going to see a lot more three-guard offense from Nebraska with people like Porter, Heidi. Uh, don't forget about Mackenzie Helms, who's going to be a sophomore point guard. You know, She was uh, the summer lifter of the year, and they're very high on what Kenzie has done. She had a lot of injuries her senior year of high school, kind of started slow in the fall last year. They're very high on her. And then Naila Dillard, who's a transfer from Texas Tech. Wow, uh, is this coaching staff uh, very, very enthused about what Nye can do. Five foot nine. So again, uh, not really what you would think about as a tall three, but she can hit the three-pointer. She could come off the bounce. So I think you're going to see a lot of three-guard situations uh, with, with those folks. Uh, and not necessarily maybe thinking about, well, this is your classic three-point player or, or a three-position player. You mentioned Nia at Texas Tech. Wow, that, thing, that thing's been a bombshell down there, hasn't it, all summer? What a weird deal going on with that program. You know, Greg, uh, we had heard some rumors when Marlene Stollings went to Texas Tech a few years ago. And um, uh, it, it, anytime you, you, you hear about problems. You, you don't like it. I mean, I'm a stakeholder in women's basketball and have been for a long time. I've got a lot of friends at Texas Tech. Uh, it's a legacy program in women's basketball, but uh, just the things that have been reported down there. And uh, I think Nye Dillard has found a, a great landing spot here at Nebraska. She is uh, completely enamored with this coaching staff, but uh, yeah, Krista Gerlock has got her uh, she's got her work cut out for her, although I think Krista Gerlach's got a real chance of, of, of making Texas Tech into something special down there because, you know, she played on those great March of Shark teams, and she's had a really good career, uh, you know, not only at, uh, you know, Division Two but also in Division One. So, but, uh, yeah, I hate hearing stuff like that. Well, what are you hearing any rumblings about? I mean, there. I guess there's an NCAA vote tomorrow to maybe allow college basketball to begin the the week of Thanksgiving. What, have you heard much? What What are the Huskers t- kind of planning to do? If, if you've got anything for us, I, I don't think the Huskers. I think you know Nebraska's still kind of waiting on everything. I know Michelle Vopel's done a really good job of trying to report on the women's side about some of the meetings about what's going on. I, I do think. Uh, you know, kind of reading the tea leaves here like you are, but I, I think everybody is kind of thinking that this is going to be mainly a conference schedule uh, and that you might be able to pay to play a handful of non-conference games. You know, for a while they were talking about, you know, bubbling people up, you know, or playing like, you know, seven games over the, the holiday break somewhere. I think those have, have kind of been tossed aside to where, you, you can play a maximum number of non-conference games, a maximum number of regular season games. Um, but I, I, I'm hearing the same thing you are. Thanksgiving seems to be the time that everybody's looking at. You know, Michelle Vopel, who is a longtime women's basketball columnist and is uh, uh, doing a good job reporting on this, I, I trust her as much as anybody. And, and, and that's, that's kind of where she's 
reading and hearing that this is, is headed towards. Well, I can't wait for that to get going. I, I, I'm pretty confident, particularly with this rapid testing that now everybody's going to, Cody. i got to think that's a game changer, particularly for basketball. They can get them up in the morning, uh, even on the road, have breakfast, run a quick swab, check them, make sure they're good to go for the game that night. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes it, so much has changed since March. You know, at, at one time the thing was let's make sure that we don't overrun the hospitals and then – that changed to let's make sure we don't make people sick and then you know it changed into let's don't spread it but you know i think what really has come in the last two months is that uh, universities do a great job of kind of isolating their athletes and if they can do the rapid testing i I completely agree with you that eliminates some of the problems of look someone like myself or a kent pavelka older people um who you know might be at more of risk being around younger people, if you can guarantee that the people you're around that are going to be on a bus or in a hotel room or, you know, in close quarters on an airplane, that you can test those, then, um, you know, the, the big question then is, you know, what percentage of fans can you have in attendance? And, you know, that's going to be negotiable. But I don't see any reason if the rapid testing is what they say it's going to be that I think that solves a lot of issues. But, you know, I think one of the things the Big Ten said early on before they canceled football was they wanted to make sure that the teams you play have similar protocols. And so that's why I think you, you're you going to see some of that still come into, well, you can play a maximum number of non-conference games, but you have to make sure that if you're playing a low-level team in non-conference, that they're, they're going to be able to be tested the same way you are. Yeah, well done. Uh, I, hey, Coach, you, K- KP's got more than a handful of years on you. More than oh, a handful. Wow. I'm, I'm trying to be fair here, Sharpie. <laughs> look, look here. I'm just trying to be fair. I mean, you know, I my age is a speed limit. KP's age is, you know, up there with an abacus, okay? So, I mean, I, I, I get that. <laughs> oh, great stuff. All right, hey, yeah. keep October 17th free on your calendar, would you? I've had every weekend free. <laughs> if, they, if you guys call me up and say we're playing football at 9 o'clock tonight, I'm ready to go. So I've got it all free. It'll be great. Great stuff. Thanks, Cope. We appreciate it. We'll be in touch. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! And that's the way it is. Good night. Beyond the headlines. So last week, there's a little bit of controversy on this very hey, segment. Austin, who's with you tonight? Who we got back there? Oh, we got Mick. Mick is locked oh. in and ready to go. How are we doing, fellas? Right. Hey, Mick. We are all ready to go, but I should clear up from <laughs> last week. There was talk about uh, potentially having Buffalo Wild Wings in the studio tonight after uh, I made that shocking Ooh. confession. That has yeah. not happened. The more I thought yeah. about it, the more... I considered that maybe it's not as much about the food, more about the experience. So my proposal is after after this settles down, after life gets a little bit more back to normal, it'd be an honor if we could have a sports nightly outing to Buffalo Wild Wings, watch a game I'm, or something. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, sign me up. I'm on the list. Sweet. Well, Hey, who knows? Tim might even go. I don't know. <laughs> I Do will. we want him? <laughs> I don't know. He, he might be salty about the whole boneless wing scenario. He's lost like 60 pounds. He may not even be eating anything like chicken wings. He can have the celery sticks that come on the side. There you go. 
That's what we'll give him. Maybe a little ranch <laughs> if he behaves well. We'll throw money ball up on one of the screens and see if we can get his peripheral vision. But we'll jump into Major League Baseball for topic number one of the night. So earlier today, Major League Baseball released its postseason format. It consists of a pair of bubble sites for the divisional series in each league, a bubble site for each league championship series, and a bubble for the World Series. And in addition to that, MLB said there are no days off during the rounds between the wild or between the wild card and the world series. So what do you guys think about the major league baseball postseason format? Well, if they're not having to travel, the first round will be at home sites so that when they're, they'll do that. But then after that, if you're not the the whole, the whole point of days off was to travel. If you had to fly from New York to LA, say in the world series or Boston to LA, like it was, that's a cross country flight. You need some, you need a day to get your body back, but they don't have to do that if they're in these bubbles. So I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's definitely the thing that I have a little bit of pause about is um, the no days off. I I feel like the the pitching could be a little influenced, but I I know the players aren't for it, but I kind of like the idea of a bubble. Keep everybody safe. There's not going to be any, um, you know, question whether whether guys are following the the protocol or not. So, yeah, I'm – I'm I'm good I'm good with it I'm good with well, uh, the bubble. I haven't seen the entire thing, but won't there be some time off in between series? Maybe a day or two between some series. Right. Yeah. That's that's yeah. normal rest. So there, you're gonna have so you're gonna get some be able to reset your pitching a little bit with that. But I mean, I understand that it's gonna make you're gonna have to pitch your four and five. You're gonna have to pitch at least your four number four starter to move on, but. Without the travel, it's not that taxing. And they don't want these playoffs to go clear into mid-November or something. You want to try to get it finished so you have your normal offseason for them to get into. Yeah, the, the final date the, the World Series could possibly be, if there's a Game 7, it's going to be done by October 28th. That's the yeah. last day it could be. Yeah, and that, that, that makes sense to me to have it being done by then. All right, gentlemen. Earlier today, golfer Matthew P- Fitzpatrick's caddy shared a video from a practice green at Winged Foot, the site of the U.S. Open, starting Thursday. In the video, he rolls a golf ball to the top of the green, it rolls all the way back to his feet, and then passed him nearly 30 yards coming to rest on the complete opposite side of the massive oh. green. Oh. The USGA has drawn criticism in the past for overdoing their setup to the point where it's not a true test of golf skill. Do you gentlemen prefer a tournament that where the course is set up to maximum difficulty, where even the top professionals struggle at times, or do you guys prefer a tournament where birdies are dropping in from everywhere? Kind of in between that a little bit, Mick. I don't like 25 under winning a major, uh, but I also don't want plus three to win the major. I think Justin Rose, the last time it was a wingfoot, was it Rose? I I don't remember. The last time it was at wingfoot, I think plus one won it. Um, and and that, that seems a little unfair to me. But you're right. The USG loves to trick these courses up and make them. They want a winning score right around even par. I don't mind, Ben, high scores if the weather's bad. You know, if you've got howling winds like the British Open is sometimes. But I don't, want, I don't want greens that you can't hit a nice shot in on the green and it doesn't stick because it's so slick. Yeah. I feel like my stance on it is – most tournaments i want guys to be able to score i love attacking greens i love guys seeing make make eagle at times and obviously birdie uh you know when they can but i i feel like i'm good with the one tournament a year being a struggle um for for the golfers 
I don't like it to be impossible. I mean, nobody likes laying up all the time. I feel like I'm okay with one tournament, and I feel like the the Open typically has that mantra where it plays it plays tough. So I can live with it a little bit, but most of the time, I mean, who doesn't want to see, you know, golfers that are through four at Augusta on Sunday go pin hunting? I mean, that, that's so entertaining. It's so much fun when everybody's just laying up all the time and, you know, playing for pars. That's that's not always great entertainment. What do you think, Mick? You're a big golfer. Yeah, I, I agree with Ben on this one. I am cool with it being just one tournament a year. It, it's one of the majors. And the biggest thing is that everybody is playing the same course. And so at a certain point, you have to get aggressive. And then it's a really a bigger test of whether you can survive getting hit in the mouth by a couple of these bad breaks because everybody's going to have them. And so the people that can weather that and stick to their strategy – are usually the ones that win. Fair enough. Back on that U.S. Open. So the last one was 2006. Jeff Ogilvie was the winner at five over par. He beat Jim Fury, Phil, and Colin Montgomery by, by a Five shot. over plus five. Yeah, wing, winged foot is uh, one of the big suspects on the, uh, along with Shinnecock on, on the, one, the courses that get out of control for, for the U.S. Open. Topic number three, we head to the hardwood. So earlier today, some, some more families of NBA players were welcomed to the bubble in Orlando to sit in the, the family sections. And among those who showed up was Jason Tatum's son, Deuce. So the Tatums have gotten some recognition on Twitter recently for their bond, and now they've been communicating despite the bubble. It's been a couple months since they've seen each other with the Celtics advancing to the Eastern at Conference Finals. So it's been a couple months for them, but what's the longest you guys have been away from your kids, and what's it like coming back to them? Ben, three say, hours, I two hours. Say, I, I went golfing a couple <laughs> times, maybe five hours. Um, yeah, not not a long period of time for me at all. This is easy because when I got the Nebraska job in 2008, I, I moved to Lincoln, and my family for three months was still back in Kansas. Now, I saw them a couple of times, but I think I went three or four weeks at a time without seeing them. So that was not, that was not easy. That was a tough couple of months i was busy because i was doing baseball as i started in february with husker baseball so i was traveling all the time but we were still in the big 12 so i would drive south for some series and be able to stop off and see him for a little bit but that was that was not much fun i didn't enjoy that yeah that's that's a long time i yeah i'm imagining i mean even just like that stretch last year when i was in italy for 10 days and then i think i was at home for two days and then went to uh went to Hawaii for my buddy's wedding. I wasn't I wasn't at, at my house like but for a, almost an entire month in, in right. I mean I didn't even have kids at that time, but it it definitely uh you have a sense of being glad glad to be home, you know, af- after that. But yeah, I can only imagine how these players are feeling in that bubble. All right, gentlemen, moving on. Formula One driver Lewis Hamilton finished in first place at the Italian Grand Prix on Sunday, marking his sixth win in nine races so far on their virus-shortened schedule. He and his Mercedes teammate Valtteri Bottas have dominated this season, both finishing on the podium in six out of nine races. Interestingly, this is the final year of unlimited team spending in Formula One, somewhat placing a salary cap of sorts on teams, 
Many think this will be healthy for the sport, allowing the teams with less money to be more competitive while preserving the ability for the best teams to consistently win. Can you guys think of sports that need to limit an advantage for certain teams? And also, can you guys think of teams that are theoretically on a level playing field that prove that strategy and culture are more important than spending and rule bending? I mean, I know it's not they're not a team anymore, but I kind of feel like the 2014 and 2015 Kansas City Royals kind of defied that with the way that they built their team. You know, they were among the first team to kind of identify with with speed, defense and and having an elite bullpen, you know, basically having three closers at 7-8-9 lead after six innings, you're going to win. That's like probably the mo- maybe the most recent example I can think of. It's a good answer, um, man. I feel like you know that they didn't have really any. That there's a reason why that team disbanded because they couldn't afford all those players after that. But I'd say the Royals. I mean, even even to a certain extent, Greg, the Chiefs. I mean, they they kind of did it their own way by drafting Patrick Mahomes, and now all those guys are super rich now. But um, again, rebuilding a team the way Brett Veach did at the time by bringing in a couple of free agents, but mostly building that team through the draft. Um, you know, I, that, that's a decent example, too. Granted, all those guys that, that are a big part of that got paid now. Baseball used to be just awful until they put the luxury tax in. You had, you know, a lot of teams spending way more than the bottom feeders, and there's still a gap there now, but they have tried to level that. The NFL's been the best because the parity is the best in the NFL, and you can see teams go from being maybe one of the worst teams in the league one year to getting to the Super Bowl the next. San Francisco made a big jump last year with that. How about the, the Las Vegas Knights as a pro, you know, yeah. an expansion team that made it? Did they make it to the Cup Finals their they first did. year in the league? Yep. I mean, how in the world did that happen? I mean, that is unbelievable. That To me, that's in the recent memory, that's the biggest jump from not even existing to getting to the Cup Finals. I think Houston, the Rockets' small ball experiment, tried to take it that way. They haven't gotten over the hump yet, but I think that's a team where they're not spending on everybody. They have Harden. They, they got Paul and Westbrook, but you know, it's not quite Warriors-level spending. So I think that's, you know, that might be in the discussion. But we move now to the gridiron. So last night in Monday Night Football at Part 2, the Titans squeaked by the Broncos 16-14. to 14. The win was both thanks to kicker Stephen Goskowski and also in spite of him as he went 1-for-4 on field goals and 1-for-2 on extra points. The one field goal he made ended up being the game winner for Tennessee. So what's the worst performance you guys have ever seen from a player or a team that still resulted in a win? Wow. Man, I, I, that would require a lot of thought. Yeah. Um, he was bad. I, I, he may not have a job in a couple of days. You just can't do that in the NFL and as a kicker and survive. They're not going right. to put up with that. I think I saw a tweet uh, that said he went from like third all time to ninth all time in wow. historical success rate in that game alone. Wow. Uh, um, I mean, I know I've I've covered a ton of basketball games where a good player has gone like one of eighteen from the floor, and their team still won. You know, I, I think that's pretty. I don't say common, but it happens, you know. Um. Well, we just played the um, the West Virginia kickoff classic last Saturday. Didn't the Huskers have like four or five turnovers? Yeah, in that game, and still won by a pretty good margin. And I think they West Virginia clearly won the turnover battle in a game that we replayed on Saturday on the network. And but that team was so much better than them; it didn't matter. So you know, there, there's an example that we've had on our air here in the last week. That happens yeah. more in football. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of 
Mm, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm sure there are games where quarterback play has just been, you know, brutal. Like, yeah. when Nebraska was running Rex Burkhead out at quarterback, not to say that Rex did poorly, but when you're, you're playing without a quarterback and having to win games, like – the, the 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 big one that comes to mind is that Colorado game when we ran out of the Wildcat 80% of the time and still won the game somehow and had zero threat of throwing the ball like i think that's that's to me is 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 where i would go is where one side of the ball is just completely non-existent and you and you're relying on your defense to win games you talked about the turnover greg game how about the the Iowa State game in 2009 where Nebraska turned it over seven times and lost I mean, I, I feel like that, that that doesn't really fit the criteria because they ended up losing. But right, I remember about a year ago, my friends and I watched a boxing match where a guy absolutely was just getting his tail kicked, and then the guy that was that the guy that was winning got disqualified for something, and that that's that's truly a bad performance resulting in a win for the other guy. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, so celebrities Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff have teamed up with Airbnb to make the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air house available to rent in Los Angeles. Sweet. If cost were not a factor, which TV show home would you guys like to stay in for a night? Greg, I feel like you've answered this one before. Stark House? Yeah, that'd be cool. That or, or how about the ranch for Dallas? Remember the Dallas TV show? that ran- South yeah. Fork, I think is what it was called can hang out at south fork for a while that's a good one um man that's a good question i feel like from a historical standpoint and just because i just finished watching the show austin you're watching it right now i mean i, I wouldn't hate living in the white house like like a uh, designated survivor just because i'm a historical nerd keep i mean you, you give me some access to that building i wouldn't hate it but i don't know that that necessarily answers your question Trying to think of like, um, you're not going to live in Michael Scott's condo for a night. Well, if, if we're going office references, <laughs> Robert California's house didn't look too terrible. Yeah, that indoor <laughs> pool. Yeah, big wine cellar. Heck yeah, movie theater. <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> That's probably the better of of those couple options. All right, topic number seven. So we're just about a month and a half or so away from it. Daylight savings time coming to an end. Uh, But yesterday, time.com actually released an article about making it daylight savings time permanent, laying out the pros and cons against it. So what do you guys think about that proposal? Do you like it to be permanent? Do you like it the way it is now with four months off, eight months on? I'm okay with it. I've grown up with it. I'm used to it. I don't want it to be dark at 8 in the morning. I don't like that at all. I don't like that it's dark at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, but to get up and get going and Ben, now that you have Kennedy in your life, you're going to realize you kind of want that daylight a little earlier in the day. So I I don't mind it. I know a lot of people complain about it. It, It's never really bothered me. So I'm going to come across as a big idiot when I say this, (laughs) but like I'm I'm not afraid to just wear this one. It's something that's always confused me the idea of daylight savings time and how we have to, you know, turn our clocks back. Like it, it just, the, the idea of, of manually influencing time has always just kind of, the idea of that has just blown my mind. It's, it's, it was done initially for the farming community so that they had more daylight hours during the work day. So for theoretically, that- if we weren't to have any daylight savings time, 
eventually it would get to a point to where the day and night time are just completely off, correct? We're basically, are we basically re resetting, resetting the clock so the days aren't, like, let's say, for example, we stopped doing daylight savings time 10 years ago. How would that influence yep. today what the, what, the, what the sun, what the, you get, does my question make Did, any sense? No. Ben, are, okay. you, are you trying to say we need to throw it way back to when the gas station, we're, we're just going to close at dark? There's no, no, I, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the idea of just, like, setting a clock manually and, and like, people deciding, like, when, when, when is a good time to do this, and this is just something that we're going to do. It's just always, like, like I, I don't, I'm not for or against it. It's something that you just do, and nowadays you just look at your cell phone, does it for you, but... I don't know. It's just weird. It's a weird concept to me. We like feeling in control. You know, time's made up and humans made it up. The concept of time is a weird one. We went all galaxy yeah. brain with this last question. But, you know, it's about control. <laughs> we want to feel yeah. like we're in control of our days. We can, we can manipulate these things. That's well, and we I do it. know that it depends where you live. Like, if you live in Alaska, there are times when you only get, like, an hour of daylight to three hours of daylight. Like, obviously, right. depends where you live. Like, I understand yeah. that. Just... I don't know. And the real confusing thing is the states that don't change at all. Arizona exactly. doesn't change. Indiana doesn't change. There's, there's two or three that don't change at all. It's weird. So, it's a weird yeah. thing. Yeah. That's over my head, boys. <laughs> Good stuff, guys. Well done.